question the important issues of today and try to find a sort of spiritual connection? Welcome to Religious Faith and the Public Square with Father John Holloman as your host. Religion deals with the most fundamental issues humans face. There are arguments for and against the existence of God, where religion belongs in everyday life and a number of questions left unanswered. This is where it all gets discovered. Now, here is Father John Holloman. Hello, always nice to be back with you folks. Hope you're having a good day. Topic today is going to be um, dogma and the reaction to the whole idea. Uh, dogma is not a very favorite word in the American English language anyway. And I think that goes back to what I was talking about last week, the relativism of our time, in which each person is his own pope, so to speak. And what's good for me is good for me, but it may not be good for you. And uh, to each his own. Um, We're going to be considering the role of dogma and how important it can be to the entire approach to um, ethical thinking. We were fortunate to have with us today as a guest, John Mark Grude of the Coming Home Network International, um, who is going to talk to us about uh, dogma and um, those who don't like the idea. John Mark? Is John Mark there? Yeah, I'm here, Father. How are you? Okay. Um, did you hear what I just said? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can I can so, it um, if you if you'd like. Um, the uh, I think it's an interesting topic. You know, today uh, in our modern world, we. Certainly, people desire to have. Um, they desire to be able to have good conversation. They desire to be able to get along with people, and we have this modern. We have this idea that um, in the modern world, as we've gotten away from things like, as you mentioned, dogma or creeds or doctrines, or even what people might call the, the inflexibility of, of you know, kind of a firm point of belief. You know that that would would bring us into a world where where people were able to get along, have good conversation, where we'd have tolerance. Um, and certainly, there's a lot of there's a lot of good intentions there. There's this this sense that uh, um, you know we we want to we want to be able to get along with people. We want to be able to respect other beliefs. And so the only way to do that is to kind of weaken our beliefs, is to have a loose handled grasp on anything that we believe. Uh, and there's certainly some good aspects to that. You know, there's certainly uh, an intuition there that humility is necessary. There's certainly an intuition that listening is necessary. There's certainly an intuition there that um, being open to being corrected, to, to learning new things, to to recognizing that you don't have the whole picture is necessary. And those are all well and good things. But I, I'd contend that they've been taken uh, quite uh, too far in the modern world, where now uh, not only... Uh, have we have we moved away from things like creeds and doctrines, and we, everyone has a very loose handled uh, grip on, on what they believe about the universe? Um, but that precisely the opposite thing that has happened um, that we were told. And actually, to introduce that point, I'll just read a little um, a little uh, quote from this is from G.K. Chesterton. He was a uh, a British writer in the uh, the early 20th century. Um, and uh, a very prolific writer, essays, journalism, novels, nonfiction. Um, and at his time, he was well-recognized then as, as well as today as a great thinker who was perfectly comfortable uh, with having very, uh, very rich, deep conversations and dialogues, public and private, with people who were very, very different with him. Uh, if you look at the time, uh, the, the intellectual figures in, in Britain at the time, uh, you had people from communists to socialists to atheists to uh, Catholic Christians like uh, Chesterton himself. 
who, um, while they they argued heartily, they were good friends. They were good drinking buddies. Um, and so uh, Chesterton uh, has a number of good books that, that uh, touch on this topic. One of my favorite books of his is called uh, What's Wrong with the World? Um, uh, it, that that uh, title is uh, actually a reference to a to an, uh, a response he once gave to a newspaper article asking that question, and his response was, Dear Sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. At any rate, the book is, is a book of essays on uh, society and family and things like that. And there's a chapter called The, the New Hypocrite, um, and here's what he says in that chapter. Here's how he kind of introduces the topic that uh, he covers in that chapter, um, and the topic which uh, Father John, you brought up today. Um, and it's a very um, provoking thought, a question that he puts it here. He says this, But indeed the case is yet more curious than this. The one argument that used to be urged for our creedless vagueness was that at least it saved us from, from, from fanaticism. But it does not even do that. On the contrary, it creates and renews fanaticism with a force quite peculiar to itself. This is at once so strange and so true that I will ask the reader's attention to it with a little more precision. Before I go on, how's that sounding so far, Father John? Well, I certainly don't buy into the whole relativist position. Sure thing. And um, I think I would, I would be most interested to be enlightened further about what Chesterton has to say on the subject. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Well. So as I said, he he introduces this this uh, thought here that you know we've been told, and maybe just by osmosis from society, we have this sort of sense in us that you know getting away from creeds, getting away from doctrines, getting away from this this hard, clear cut thinking. That would free us from argument. That would allow us to get along with people and be tolerant and have new ideas and make progress. But Chesterton claims, and I think, I think if we really pay attention to this and we really uh, are honest about the last hundred or so years, we can see that he was prophetic in saying that not only does it not do that, on the contrary, it creates and renews fanaticism with a force quite peculiar to itself. And so why is this? You know why? Why has this this rather spectacular um, uh, turnaround happened? Why? Why is our our sensibility so wrong here? Well, he goes on to to talk about um, and and you you mentioned this earlier, Father John. He says some people do not like the word dogma, and he goes on to say, fortunately, they are free, and there's an alternative for them. There are two things, and two things only for the human mind: a dogma and a prejudice. Um, he goes on to say, a doctrine is a definite point, a prejudice is a direction. And then in a, in a rather typical Chestertonian quip, he gives the example, that an ox may be eaten while a man should not be eaten is a doctrine. That as little as possible of anything should be eaten is a prejudice. So, uh, so, so what's he saying here? You know, so again, what, the, put very simply, a doctrine is a definite point and a prejudice is a direction. And if we think about how we use the term prejudice uh, here in our common language, I think we'll recognize that in that simple phrase, it does get at what a prejudice is. A prejudice is a direction. When we talk about someone having a prejudice against someone else, or a prejudice against this religion, or a prejudice against this idea, what are we saying there about that person? What we're saying there is that they, they have a certain direction of their thought and their action, but there's no basis for it. They, ha- they are against something. Again, there's a directional, st- a directional word there. Uh, they're against something or for something without any reason. And that's what a prejudice is, to, be, to, to move in a direction but to not have a reason for it. On the contrary, uh, as he says, a doctrine is a definite point. And he gives us that example about the, about the ox and about eating. Um, you know, saying, believing that human beings have dignity and worth and rights, you know, that's a definite point, a belief about the world. It could be wrong, but it is a, it's a propositional statement, and you can agree with it or disagree with it. Um, but we can imagine lots of other things that um, uh, they're not definite points about the world. They're very vague points, and you can't really argue with them. So obviously, you can think of extremely negative examples. 
So oftentimes in the news, obviously, these days, we're talking about racism. And what, what's a racism? A racism is being against something without, without, uh, without reason, being against a person simply because of where they come from. Um, you know, it's a, it's a, um, it would be an issue of prejudice to say, I don't trust this group of people because of where they come from. It's not a prejudice to say, of my own brother, well, he always takes my shirts, and so I'm going to tell him to stop taking my shirts. It's a definite point about the world that I, I see this about my brother all the time. He's always taking my shirts. Um, but prejudices, um, again, are not definite points. They're these, these vague directions. They direct our action and our thought. They direct our emotions. But they're not based on any reason. Um, and this slide into prejudice is one of the things that um, Chesterton insists is the result of moving away from, again, those, those scary words for, for us nowadays, doctrines and dogmas and creeds, these definite beliefs about the world. Um, so, uh, I mean, I guess, yeah, so from there, again, before I go on any further, Father John, do you have anything to, that you want to throw in on that? Well, we've got a uh, break coming up here. Sure. And um, it'll give us a chance to think about it. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com As a Catholic or non-Catholic, would you be interested in knowing more about the faith? We have a large selection of books in various categories from apologetics to spirituality. CDs and DVDs are also available, as well as handcrafted rosaries. In short, we are a resource for seekers. If we do not have what you are looking for, give us a call and we will try to find it for you. Visit DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com to find out more or call us at 251-317-3977. That's DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com. Are you satisfied with your life? Do you know that more should be possible? Listen for the Access Consciousness Radio Show with the creators of Access, Gary Douglas and Dr. Dane here. Our program offers pragmatic tools to change things in your life that you haven't been able to change until now. What if all of life could come to you with ease, joy, and glory? Tune in to Access Consciousness Thursdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment. Who are you, really? Are you the person you want to be, or are you the person that others want you to be? Think about that. We don't always recognize our gifts and potential because we stick to old methods of being and do what others in our lives tell us. It's time to break through. Listen for Rediscovering the Magic of Being with Marja. Each program connects you back to whom you were meant to be every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time and 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. tuned into Religious Faith and the Public Square with Father John Holloman. To reach the program today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to defendingcatholicfaith at gmail.com. Now, back to Religious Faith and the Public Square. Welcome back. Lovely to have you all with us. Uh, We're going to be continuing the discussion about uh, the role of dogma um, versus prejudice. And John Mark Grody from Coming Home Network International is with us today to um, enlighten us as to what uh, G.K. Chesterton had to say about it. Uh, John? Hey, hey, Father Holloman. Yeah, yeah. So before the break, I, I broke open a couple quotes from Chesterton's uh, chapter at the near the beginning of his book, What's Wrong with the World? Um, and again, he makes this, this provocative claim, which is that uh, as we've moved away from these, these definite, concrete um, forms of thought in previous ages, you know, that, again, we would call doctrine, uh, 
you know, a firm, firm fixed belief about the world that, that if you, if, as you give that up, there's only one other thing for your mind, and that's a prejudice. You either, you either believe propositions, statements about the universe, again, which, which may be right or wrong. You know, having, having a belief doesn't mean that you're not open to, to being corrected or to having that clarified, but, but it's the, it's the, the mode of thought. And, and the two modes, he says, that are, that are available for the human mind are either, either doctrines, as, as he calls them, uh, definite points, or prejudices. So, I mean, to break that open that further, um, so what, what, would, what does that look like? Um, and, and does it sort of fit with the world that we see today, the state of public discourse that we see today? Um, if, as he claims, uh, when you... When you give up that kind of thinking, when you give up propositional, doctrinal thinking about the world, uh, if the vacuum is filled by prejudices, um, what does that look like? And again, does that, does that fit with what we see? So I, I have a few notes on that to, to share. You know, obviously, one of the, the most obvious surface linguistic differences here, if we're moving from a, a definite uh, points of belief about the universe, uh, the alternative would be vague points about the universe. Um, you know, that uh, and I think this is you know this is true across the board. Um, you know most most people. I guess I, I, I before I go on to that. I mean one one comment that we can make generally about modern discourse is that um, one of the effects of of the media that we have and the social media and the, the readily available internet access is that have you noticed this? Everyone is very very comfortable with information that they ultimately really. Have very little basis for knowing whether it's true or not. I'm not sure if, if the folks listening out there have noticed that. But if you you look at the social media, how often does someone read a headline or read the first couple sentences of an article and then walk away either disbelieving that or believing that without ever exploring it any further, ever tracking down sources, ever figuring out who said it, ever verifying it with other sources? So. And again, this is a, just a slight diversion. That's just a, an interesting quality of, of modern thought that we're, we're, we're very comfortable being very sure without uh, much evidence, without much uh, um, foundation for that. But anyway, to go back to this idea of prejudice, um, we, we pick up uh, prejudices. We pick up these fuzzy ideas so quickly. Um, and uh, let me give you an example of, I think, one way that this plays out today. I think one way that you could characterize our modern public discourse is that it really trades in labels. And what I mean by labels, I mean words that, that seem to cover a whole lot, um, but which very few people would agree on a common definition. So think of uh, some of our, our dichotomies in our modern discourse, Democrat and Republican, or conservative and liberal. These are the sorts of words that are used all the time. Labels. People apply the labels to themselves. People apply the labels to others. But if you really sit, sat down and challenge them to write a definition of Democrat or Republican or conservative or even things like pro-life or Christian, people would not have the same definitions. They wouldn't. They, there's so many fuzzy ideas that are connected to these labels. Um, and that's because these labels represent, again, this, this prejudicial thinking. You know, whether a person is using a label to talk about themselves, they're, they're, they're giving themselves that label, or the, their people that label, or they're giving that to somebody else. What it represents is, is not a clear thinking, but a, a fuzzy thinking. We're using these labels in place of clear statements of belief. You know, um, I mean, again, if you were to, to group together uh, some of those words, and many people who label themselves as Democrats or label themselves as Republicans, you would find such uh, an incredible diversity of, of fuzzy beliefs uh, among them about the world and about, uh, about how we should act and what, what the beliefs imply. Um, uh, another quality of, of, of a prejudice, again, a prejudice is this direction. You know, you're prejudiced against something or for something, but without a reason. So it's this vague direction. Um, another, another problematic aspect of it is that... Um, because it is not a definite point, it, ha- it doesn't have a limit, or it doesn't, it, it, it's not clear how to have it interact with other beliefs. And let me give you an example about this. You know, uh, some very 
uh, difficult topics that um, that people of faith or, or even pe- people without faith all have to wrestle with in the modern world. Things like abortion, things like euthanasia, um, and what we see in in these sorts of things is that we have we have some. Oftentimes, you have someone with uh, a prejudice, and again, I'm not using this this word prejudice in a, in a negative sense, and it's a wrong with a person, but it's a, it's talking about a quality of thought. It's talking about the, a type of thought. So, for instance, the person who oftentimes would advocate for something like euthanasia of of um, um, you know ending someone's life who's in chronic pain or something like that, or giving them that option. Certainly, the direction there is sort of against pain, but because because it's not a definite point about the world, it's not a definite belief about what pain is or where it fits or what a human being is. That that being against pain, that wanting to just end pain, there's no way to square that or figure out how does that integrate with other beliefs. For instance, the, the dignity of human life, um, and that's where this fuzzy thinking becomes becomes very difficult because it. Because it's not making a propositional statement, because it's not making uh, a, a rational statement about the universe, you can't argue with it. And again, that's that's something we definitely see in our modern discourse, that we have lots of people with lots of very fuzzy ideas, fuzzy understandings of their own beliefs, and, and very inadequate understandings of other people's beliefs, very, very uh, unable to talk to one another. Um, and I, I'd, I would tie this back to what uh, Chesterton was getting at, that as we've given up um, as we've given up creeds, as we've given up a propositional, doctrinal thinking, um, it hasn't made us more able to talk. It hasn't made us more tolerant. On the contrary, it's put us in a situation uh, where we are unable to talk with other people. We're unable to, to actually talk about the issues and have a healthy discourse about them. And Again, I think uh, one step further uh, of this is that um, what's created is, is, again, not more tolerance, not a greater ability to understand and to dialogue with people who are very different with you. But on the contrary, I think it creates uh, bigotry and hatred. You know, when you have a, a fuzzy idea of your own beliefs, then someone can't talk to you. They can't interface with your arguments. They can't have a discourse with you. And on the on the on the flip side, you can't understand this. If if a person comes to you and they 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 have a direction, they're for their candidate or they're for this cause, they're for this topic, but they they haven't they haven't reasons, they haven't beliefs, they haven't doctrines that they can share with you. Well, you can't argue with them. You can't really. I mean, you can yell at them certainly, and we see lots and lots of yelling, lots and lots of of negative uh, discourse. But we can't. We don't see real. Uh, dialogue and interfacing, and one of the results of that is that those labels that we affix to people and ourselves, those those fuzzy images of who we are and what we believe, and these fuzzy images of who they are and what they believe, those labels get bigger and scarier as we go. You know, the longer, the more misunderstandings happen, the, the worse and scarier and unreasonable the other person seems. When really, you know, from the very beginning, we're we're unable to have real discourse with people. We're not unable to, to have discussion with them. Um, I, think, I think, you know, Father John, I'm, I'm sure you could give lots of other examples as well of how, you know, this, this prejudice plays out in, in public discourse. You know, in, as we, if we look in the news, if we look on social media, I think, I think we see that this, is, this could really characterize um, the vast majority of our public discourse nowadays. People uh, with incomplete, fuzzy information, but with directions, with very passionate directions to their emotions. I, I'm for this person. I'm for this topic. I'm against this. I'm against that. But because those are only fuzzy, vague directions, as Chesterton describes these prejudices, uh, people cannot have uh, real discussion about them. Well, um, I can give an example of, of um, prejudice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, when um, my mother was still carrying me, the doctors told her that I was a direct threat to her life. Mm-hmm. That even with the strict anti-abortion laws of that day and time, she mm-hmm. had a legal right to an abortion and they recommended it. Mm-hmm. And my father, out of concern for her, seconded the motion. Mm-hmm. But she absolutely was adamant and refused. Mm-hmm. And um, so, so I was born by C-section. 
mm-hmm. and mother and child survived very nicely, thank you. Mm-hmm. So I've always, uh-huh. I'm always telling people when it comes to abortion, I'm kind of prejudiced. <laughs> well, it's, again, it's, the, the, the at, least, at least I have a reason behind it. Right, exactly. And that's, I think that's the key point there. You know, you, you have a firm, because you are yourself, and the story is about you, you know, you, you, um, you firmly believe in that definite point of the dignity of human life. You know, it, the, the doctors, uh, um, and again, so what, what the doctors said in your case, and what they often say, comes out of a prejudice. And we have this prejudice that, you know, again, pain is, is the worst thing, and, and a, an, an imperfect life is not worth living. If a person's in an imperfect situation, it would be better for them not, not to live. And these, these, they're the result of, um, I think, oh, lots, of, lots of feelings there, but not statements that you can really uh, argue with or interface with. Um, um, but again, <laughs> well, go ahead. There are some people who would say that uh, my birth was an argument for abortion. Mm-hmm. Needless to say, I would disagree with that. Yeah, yeah, yes, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, you know, the abortion is really the perfect issue to, to see these kinds of things play out because, again, a lot of times what people are, um, again, they're coming at it from a place of feeling, either a, a person who's looking down on someone else or saying, well, this, this life, they don't feel like this life is worth living, you know, or they, uh, there's lots of uh, feelings and prejudices that play, play in there. But what it comes down to is still, if we're going to talk about it, if we're going to decide what, what's right in that situation, we have to look at principles. We have to look at doctrines. Is a human life valuable? And does it have a right to life? Because uh, if it does, uh, then we have to do something about that. Again, you can, you can disagree with that, uh, that doctrine, if you will, the doctrine that uh, a human being has dignity and has a right to life. That's something you can disagree with, but you, you can't just ignore it. You can't just be for, uh, uh, against pain or, or for, uh, I think the, the language of choice oftentimes is this example of prejudice. Certainly, I'm for, you know, someone that says, I'm for choice, I'm pro-choice. Well, that's, that's fine, but that's really vague. What choices? Uh, it, it's certainly, it's about one very particular choice. Um, but being pro-choice, the, the fuzziness of that, of that concept doesn't even give you something you can really argue with. Now, being um, the underlying uh, doctrine, if someone w- would want to claim it there, would be that a human being doesn't have the right to life until they're born or until, they're, uh, until they feel pain or something like that. And again, if someone wants to defend that position, that's fine. I can have an argument with them. I can, I can talk to them about that. I think it's very wrong, but I can at least talk to them about that. But I don't, most people don't want to defend that position that, yeah, it's okay, uh, it's okay to kill a person five minutes before they're born, but not uh, a few seconds after they're born. No one wants to defend that position. And so in, in that case, I would say that the, the prejudice of calling oneself pro-choice and characterizing all of one's arguments as, as being uh, a, a, a playing out of being pro-choice and to characterize anyone who disagrees with you as being uh, anti-choice. That's the example of, of prejudice, of fuzzy thinking, of fuzzy, of fuzzy thought there that um, you're, you're not really willing to discuss. And, you know, uh, again, I'll leave it to, to uh, listeners and I'll leave it to people who hold that view to, to ask themselves why they're un- unwilling to, to recognize the, the doctrines, the principles underlying that argument, because uh, they're, they're not comfortable. Um, but again, the, the point is that, that uh, being pro-choice, claiming to be pro-choice, um, that is a, a perfect example of one of Chesterton's prejudices, because you, you can't argue with it. It, 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 it. it goes one direction like a bull in a child, china shop, and it won't listen to reason, it won't interface with other reason or arguments, and it won't really even... Um, uh, take account or acknowledge the arguments that underlie its position. I think a lot of this is motivated by a mistaken idea of freedom, which is mm-hmm. taken to mean free to, free to do whatever you want to do when you want to do it. Mm-hmm. And 
Um, there's no greater tyrant than our um, opinions that we ought to be absolutely free to do anything we want to. Right. That can, um, I think that's at the root of a lot of it. It's um, yeah. a kind of selfish ego, egoism. Yeah, I'd say often, so often, it's a great example that uh, so often the the modern language of freedom or, or you know, uh, liberality, uh, being free, uh, the language of it is, is, I think, oftentimes a perfect example of what uh, Chesterton's pointing out here, that um, that this this modern prejudice towards ever greater freedom, um, it, it is a prejudice. It's a vague direction. And because it's not a definite point about the universe, there's um, when does it end? When does it stop? What is it? What is it for? All those questions are not answered simply by this prejudice towards greater freedom. You know, so if you approach every question in life um, and and you simply apply your prejudice, well, the, the freer the better. Um, uh, there are problems with that, and also again to. Uh, with our topic today, you can't argue with a person who refused to have a reason behind this, this, this vague direction. You know, freedom is, is good uh, when we're talking about uh, freedom for something good, freedom to be able to live your life, freedom to have a family, freedom to believe and practice your religion, uh, all the other freedoms that, that we in the United States and, uh, enjoy. Um, but, you know, freedom uh, for a small child to to play on a windowsill and fall out the window. That, that's certainly a freedom, but certainly that's not, a, that's not uh, what freedom's for. That's not a good uh, example of freedom. That's not what, we don't want that freedom. We want to we actually keep our children from being free to make the decision to crawl out the window or, or do something else crazy. Um, you know, uh, so yeah, I think that's a good example to this idea of freedom. Certainly, there, there's underlying that there is something good. That, that freedom is a good, freedom is a good thing, doesn't mean it's the, um, I, I guess you could, you could put it this way, that uh, one, one statement you could make is that freedom is a good, but it's not the only good. And that's what, uh, what you have to grapple with, that there are other goods. And freedom divorced from those other goods uh, could be a great evil. So, so we, again, we have, to, we have to choose between uh, doctrinal, you know, principled, uh, propositional thinking and merely prejudicial thinking. Prejudices are, are vague directions that that uh, they can't interface, they can't discuss, they can't uh, take on new ideas. R- really, I think what's fascinating about Chesterton's turning this, these concepts on their head is that uh, what people hoped they would get by by moving away from creeds and doctrines and by moving towards uh, kind of the uh, more fuzzy, round edges, softer ideas. Uh, they're just not. They're getting precisely opposite. You know, um, they're getting uh, they're getting the inability to talk with others. They're getting the inability to take on new ideas. They're getting they're getting people who are <laughs> sort of dogmatically attached to their own prejudices, their own fuzzy ideas. Well, perhaps that's why. So much of the what we see in public discourse nowadays um, simply assumes that the situation is simple, mm-hmm. and uh, it's, uh, the lack of any thought behind it. And uh, I think that's where we get into trouble. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, I think. Um what we can contrast to some of the examples that we just gave um, would be, you know, what, so if we, if, we, we, if we grant the possibility that Chesterton had a point here, then what would be the flip side? So, you know, if we, if we tried to turn back the clock in our thinking and we tried to, to seek out um, definite points, if we, if we stopped being so allergic to this idea of doctrines or principles or propositions, um, what would the effects be? And again, Chesterton claimed at the start here that um, that 
moving away from those things only uh, revived and created a, a, a far greater and more negative fanaticism amongst people. You know, it, it just it just it drives people apart, and that's that's something that he. Uh, let, let me read a couple more quotes here. He says a little later on in that um, that essay. It is exactly the same with politics. Our political vagueness divides men. It does not fuse them. Men will walk along the edge of a chasm in clear weather, but they will edge miles away from it in a fog. So a, a Tory can walk up to the very edge of socialism if he knows what social what is socialism. But if he is told that socialism is a spirit, a sublime atmosphere, a noble, indefinable tendency, why then he keeps out of it, out of its way and quite right too. One can meet an assertion with argument, but healthy bigotry is the only way in which one can meet a tendency. So again, what he's pointing out here that when we have when we have clear ideas, you know, clear points of belief that we have, and when we understand another person's you know clear points of belief. We we can um, we can dialogue with them, and we can we can get quite quite close to them because we can see precisely what they think and they say. You know that's where good dialogue comes from. Uh, a little earlier in the essay, he 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 um, he states this: It is not merely true that a creed unites men; nay, a difference of creed unites men so long as it is a clear difference. And this is, I guess, the the thesis of his essay that uh, he's counterposing against the modern sensibility. Again, the modern sensibility is that, well, if we move away from these clear concepts and propositions and creeds and doctrines, all that fuddy-duddy old stuff, uh, then we'll get along with people better. And that just doesn't happen. And Chesterton claims that, on the contrary, these clear ideas, doctrines, propositions, even if they are different between people, they unite people. So the question is, is that the case? And why would that be the case? Um, and uh, you know, I think some of the reasons are, are would be pretty clear, but I think some of them are, are still um, rather surprising. But uh, they, but they ring true, I would say. You know, if we th- we think through this a bit, um, again, uh, with that that earlier quote I gave, when when the ideas are clear, what one thing that does when I when I'm clear about what I believe and what you believe, even if they're very different, if I'm very clear about what those differences are, suddenly the, the boogeyman. Uh, that sort of invade our public's discourse begin to deflate. You know, again, when we're dealing with labels, these fuzzy labels that we affix to ourselves or others, because they're fuzzy, we we the other person, the other side, the other set of ideas, they just become bigger and scarier and more prejudices get attached to them until, you know, um, we have an entirely imaginary person or idea in our head. But as soon as we clarify our ideas, we, we come to some real doctrinal points of belief and we help uh, and another person, if, we're, if we encounter another person who has differing but nevertheless clear beliefs, that's a, suddenly that person is not so scary. Suddenly their beliefs, we can see precisely where they are the same and where they're different. And, and that brings me to another point here that um, clear, um, clear doctrinal beliefs, clear, clear propositional beliefs, even when they're different, what they reveal is a, a, deeper, um, uh, a deeper commonality. Anytime you encounter someone um, and y- you, they understand, you're able to clearly express what, um, what you believe and you're able to understand their beliefs and you're able to talk about that, what's going on is that you're able to, dis- to discuss because you've also discovered a deeper commonality. You know, for, for, two, for a Christian and an atheist to sit down and to, to discuss the existence of God, it, it, so I think maybe to the modern mind it would seem like, well, they, ha- they have nothing in common. How can, they, how can they even talk? You know, but many, many good Christians and many, and many atheists have wonderful conversations. I, I have a, a friend nearby here from, from university. I often have conversations with Chesterton, dialogue with many atheists in his day, because they were able to express their ideas quickly, or I'm sorry, clearly, and underlying their differences, they recognized a common, a commonality, a common, um, uh, a similar belief, which is that they both believed in truth. They, you know, um, to to have a serious conversation, a respectful conversation about what you believe is true, presupposes that you both believe that there's a truth out there for you to, to for you to, to seek out. So I think that's another effect of when we when we try to move uh, now flipping flipping on its head. If we try to move away from prejudice, and we try to seek you know you know 
true knowledge. We try to make sure that we that what we think we know is based on reality. It's, we've got sources. We've got evidence. And even with, when our our beliefs, which again someone may disagree with, but if we we try to make sure that they're clear and we understand them, and then when we try to really listen to another person and understand their beliefs, and maybe even help them clarify theirs if they're a little fuzzy, what we end up is recognizing, okay, well, we have these points of difference, but we have uh, we have these points of co- these foundational points of commonality. And that, that brings me another to another point here, too, which is that uh, so often uh, disagreements uh, and arguments in modern public discourse, uh, they seem like they're going nowhere. They seem like people are talking past each other because precisely they are. And the reason they are is because they have... They, they do have far deeper disagreements that render the issue that they're talking about uh, nigh on unintelligible. You know, so, for example, if, if you have a, an atheist and a Christian um, uh, debating some um, specific moral question, you know, um, deeper down, they have a very different worldview when it comes to what ethics are and where they come from. And that... Unfortunately, well, maybe fortunately, maybe unfortunately, that has to be discussed first before we could ever expect to have agreement uh, on, uh, or even to, to even have a clear disagreement about a, a surface-level moral issue. So, again, trying to to to, to have um, uh, knowledge, you know, the, the, making sure that the information you have, you really have, and you didn't just read it in headlines, but also you know, coming to a clear understanding of your own beliefs, um, seeking those out, and then really trying to understand other person's. What you'll, what you'll be under to recognize is that our disagreements are often, we're arguing way up here, and our disagreements are, 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 are far deeper. And so often, so often we're arguing about the wrong things. You know, we're arguing about uh, some uh, tiny points of ethics or, or politics when our, our disagreements are, are deep down in our very worldviews. And that's where we have to start. That's where we have to realize, oh, we're living in two different universes. How could we possibly have the same politics or have the same um, moral views? We need to talk about what the universe is made out of. And again, um, the modern world has moved away from that kind of thought, from philosophical thought, from questions about being and origins and, and meaning. But without those, what we have is just you know unintelligible and interminable uh, argument all the time. So another effect of of that sort of the of creedal or doctrinal kind of thinking is um, is getting to the real root of issues and figuring out where we disagree so that we can have good discussion about it. Well, I think we've got another break coming up here. Okay. So. Okay. Um, It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com As a Catholic or non-Catholic, would you be interested in knowing more about the faith? We have a large selection of books in various categories from apologetics to spirituality. CDs and DVDs are also available, as well as handcrafted rosaries. In short, we are a resource for seekers. If we do not have what you are looking for, give us a call and we will try to find it for you. Visit DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com to find out more or call us at 251-317-3977. That's DefendingTheCatholicFaith.com. When you learn to see things from a spiritual perspective, it changes the way you see virtually everything in your life. Listen for Dr. Paula Joyce and her program, Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit. Our program will help you get rid of the negative aspects of your life and invite love, joy, and prosperity into your life. Turn that negative feeling into a positive one. Tune in to Uplift Your Life, Nourishment of the Spirit, every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. tuned into Religious Faith and the Public Square with Father John Holloman. To reach the program today, please call 1-888-346-9141. That's 
346-9141. You may also send an email to defendingcatholicfaith at gmail.com. Now, back to Religious Faith and the Public Square. Welcome back. We're discussing the difference between a dogma and a fuzzy thinking. It seems to me that um, that fuzzy thinking is something of a cop-out of having to do the work of a clear reasoning. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think a lot of people in religion are just as guilty of that as people outside religion. Definitely. It's become a kind of an epidemic of, uh, I suppose, at, bo- at bottom, it's just a, a prejudice against uh, having to, to do the work that goes mm-hmm. into rational discourse. Right. Um, no, I, everything yeah. is everything's pop art nowadays. Yeah. Instead of real art. Yeah. We substitute substitute them. Um, these moments, instead of uh, carrying things out to. Again, kind of you got a clear conclusion about what's going on. Right. Um, so, um, anything that, um, what, what does Chesterton's remark? What did Chesterton's remark um, about, what does it boil down to, the difference between dogma and um, vague feeling? Yeah. Let me let me give a couple quotes from the, the end of the article that I think sum it up a, a little bit. Um, and, and just as a quick preface, I think as you said, uh, Father Holloman, I think they are. I think the the move towards the fuzzy thinking, the prejudice, it is a cop out, you know. And I think there's there's lots of reasons for the cop out. At least one of those reasons is just that people they they are afraid of arguing. They're afraid of you know um, having differences and and having people they can't get along with. And so that sometimes it's out of fear that people flee to fuzzy thinking. But again, Chesterton argues that that that's not going to help. In fact, that's only going to do make it worse. So he says here, um, uh, but the difference between the two mental methods is marked and unmistakable. The essential of the difference is this, that prejudices are divergent, whereas creeds are always in collision. Believers bump into each other, whereas bigots keep out of each other's way. So to stop right there for a moment, again, that's where some of the fear comes. You know, when you have a belief, yes, you, that belief bumps into other people's beliefs. You know, it, uh, they're, they're, they're perpendicular lines. They intersect, whereas prejudices stay as far away as they can. Bigots, as he says, keep out of each other's way, and therefore the bigotry grows. But he goes on to say in a little bit here, uh, genuine controversy, fair cut and thrust before a common audience has become in our special epoch very rare. For the sincere controversialist is above all things a good listener. The really burning enthusiast never interrupts. He listens to the enemy's arguments as eagerly as a spy would listen to the enemy's arrangements. But if you attempt an actual argument with a modern paper of opposite politics, you will find that no medium is admitted between violence and evasion. You will have no answer except slanging or silence. So, again, in fear of disagreement, of, of being at cross-purposes with people, we flee to prejudice. But the result is only uh, a public discourse that is characterized by either evasion or violence. So greater bigotry or greater misunderstanding. Uh, whereas, again, as he says earlier, to go back to, to his sort of thesis of this, um, of this uh, essay, is it is not merely true that a creed unites men, nay, a difference of creed unites men so long as it is a clear difference. And he says, and he gives an example, he says a boundary unites. 
Many a magnanimous Muslim and chivalrous crusader must have been nearer to each other because they were both dogmatists than any two, two homeless agnostics in the pew of Mr. Campbell's chapel. I say that God is one, and the proposition, I say God is one but also three. That is the beginning of a good, quarrelsome, manly friendship. And I, I realize that some of those references are a little outdated, but the point here is that uh, when you have a clear, uh, a clear doctrine, a clear belief, a clear proposition, even if, even if it's different from somebody else, if you're able to express, express those clearly, that's the only way forward to real respectful dialogue. And again, that's what I think people want. They want to be able to, uh, they want to be able to, you know, all these modern things that, that we want. We, we want to be, we want to love people and be tolerant of beliefs that are different from us. We want to have good discourse. We have so many social issues that we need to work through. So we want to be able to talk. Well, this is, this is the key here, that uh, there's no easy way through this. You can't, you can't get rid of the difficult parts here by fleeing to prejudice. It's only by being seekers of truth. It's only by um, humbly seeking out truth humbly listening to another person to make sure that you really understand their beliefs, not just a caricature of them. Um, those difficult, long routes are the only ways that they're having real discourse. But I, I think we'll also find that, um, again, I think it's good to look to the example of G.K. Chesterton here, because he lived this out. And what you see, if you read into his life, at that point in history, you could have, very, you could have a lively intellectual discourse very, very, very passionate a discourse about your beliefs and yet uh, remain charitable and make it constructive and, and come to greater agreement and, and real progress because you're able to really talk to one another. Okay. We're just about out of time. Um, I look forward to being back with you again next week to talk about the possibility of a Christian society. Um, President Obama famously said uh, this country is no longer Christian. Um, I think some people might be able to uh, see what he's getting at, but um, is that desirable? Can we uh, um, really establish a Christian society that's not um, exclusivist? It certainly excludes certain things, excludes sin for one thing, and um, but that's all for, for the good, so that we don't walk off a cliff and feel blindsided when we do. So, goodbye for this week. Hope to see you back next next week. For tuning in to Religious Faith and the Public Square, please join Father John Holloman again next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We hope you have a very good week.